Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. October 9. On this date in history, in the year 1974, Oskar Schindler, credited with saving 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust, dies. German businessman Oskar Schindler credited with saving 1,200 Jews from the Holocaust, dies at the age of 66. A member of the Nazi party, he ran an enamel works factory in Krakow during the German occupation of Poland, employing workers from the nearby Jewish ghetto. When the ghetto was liquidated, he persuaded Nazi officials to allow the transfer of his workers to the Plasau labor camp, thus saving them from deportation to the death camps. In 1944, all Jews at Plasau were sent to Auschwitz, but Schindler, at great risk to himself, bribed officials into allowing him to keep his workers and set up a factory in a safer location in occupied Czechoslovakia. By the war's end, he was penniless, but he had saved 1,200 Jewish people. In 1962, he was declared a righteous Gentile by Yad Vashem, Israel's official agency for remembering the Holocaust. According to his wishes, he was buried in Israel at the Catholic Cemetery on Mount Zion. October 10. On this date in history, in the year 1935, Porgy and Bess, the first great American opera, premieres on Broadway. Porgy and Bess began its journey to the Broadway stage in 1926, when George Gershwin wrote a letter late one night to the author of a book he was reading, proposing that the two of them collaborate on an operatic adaptation. The American writer, DuBose Hayward, author of the novel Porgy, immediately agreed to Gershwin's proposal, but commercial commitments in New York prevented Gershwin from actually beginning work on the project for another seven years. In the meantime, singer Al Jolson attempted to mount a musical version of Porgy, starring himself, in blackface, but that effort foundered in 1932, leaving the way open for the Gershwin-Hayward collaboration that would feature an all-African-American cast of classically trained singers, revolutionary casting in 1930s America. Over the course of more than two years, beginning in the spring of 1933, DuBose Hayward and the two Gershwins, George's brother Ira joined as a co-lyricist in 1934, collaborated mostly by mail, with only occasional face-to-face -face meetings. In this fashion, they nevertheless managed to create some of the greatest songs in American musical theater history, including Summertime, I Got Plenty of Nuttin', It Ain't Necessarily So, and Bess, You Is My Woman Now. The critics of the day were decidedly mixed in the reception of Porgy and Bess, however. While Olin Downs of the New York Times found much to commend it from the musical standpoint, composer-critic Virgil Thompson, writing for the New York Herald Tribune, was less kind. 
calling Gershwin's incorporation of blues and jazz influences into a serious operatic score to be falsely conceived and rather clumsily executed, crooked folklore and halfway opera. Many of the songs had been cut from the show between its trial run in Boston and its Broadway debut, however, a fact that may well have hurt Porgy and Bess with critics. In fact, the full George Gershwin score of Porgy and Bess would not be performed again until a triumphant 1976 revival by the Houston Grand Opera, which helped establish its current place in the standard operatic repertoire. George Gershwin and Bose Hayward died in 1937 and 1940, respectively, not knowing that the poorly received Porgy and Bess, which premiered on this day in 1935 and closed some four months later, would later gain recognition as one of the most important American musical works of the 20th century. October 11. On this date in history, in the year 2002, Jimmy Carter wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Former President Jimmy Carter wins the Nobel Peace Prize for his decades of untiring effort to find peaceful solutions to international conflicts, to advance democracy and human rights, and to promote economic and social development. Carter, a peanut farmer from Georgia, served one term as U.S. president between 1977 and 1981. One of his key achievements as president was mediating the peace talks between Israel and Egypt in 1978. The Nobel Committee had wanted to give Carter the prize that year for his efforts along with Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin, but was prevented from doing so by a technicality. He had not been nominated by the official deadline. After he left office, Carter and his wife Rosalind created the Atlanta-based Carter Center in 1982 to advance human rights and alleviate human suffering. Since 1984, they have worked with Habitat for Humanity to build homes and raise awareness of homelessness. Among his many accomplishments, Carter has helped to fight disease and improve economic growth in developing nations and has served as an observer at numerous political elections around the world. The first Nobel Prizes, awards established by Swedish industrialist Alfred Nobel in his will, were handed out in Sweden in 1901 in the fields of physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. The Nobel Prize in economics was first awarded in 1969. Carter was the third U.S. president to receive the award, worth $1 million, following Theodore Roosevelt in 1906 and Woodrow Wilson in 1919. Former President Barack Obama won it in 2009. October 12. On this date in history, in the year 1492, Columbus reaches the New World. After sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, Italian explorer Christopher Columbus sights a Bahamian island on October 12, 1492, believing he has reached East Asia. His expedition went ashore the same day and claimed the land for Isabella and Ferdinand of Spain who sponsored his attempt to find a Western Ocean route to China, India, and the fabled Gold and Spice Islands of Asia. Columbus was born in Genoa, Italy in 1451. Little is known of his early life, but he worked as a seaman and then a maritime entrepreneur. He became obsessed with the possibility of pioneering a Western Sea route to Cathay, China, India, and the Gold and Spice Islands of Asia. 
At the time, Europeans knew no direct sea route to southern Asia, and the route via Egypt and the Red Sea was closed to Europeans by the Ottoman Empire, as were many land routes. Contrary to popular legend, educated Europeans of Columbus's day did believe that the world was round, as argued by St. Isidore in the 7th century. However, Columbus and most others underestimated the world's size, calculating that East Asia must lie approximately where North America sits on the globe. They did not yet know that the Pacific Ocean existed. With only the Atlantic Ocean, he thought, lying between Europe and the riches of the East Indies, Columbus met with King John II of Portugal and tried to persuade him to back his enterprise of the Indies, as he called his plan. He was rebuffed and went to Spain, where he was also rejected at least twice by King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. However, after the Spanish conquest of the Moorish Kingdom of Granada in January 1492, the Spanish monarchs, flush with victory, agreed to support his voyage. On August 3, 1492, Columbus set sail from Palos, Spain, with three small ships, the Santa Maria, the Pinta, and the Nina. On October 12, the expedition reached land, probably Waitling Island in the Bahamas. Later that month, Columbus sighted Cuba, which he thought was mainland China. And in December, the expedition landed on Hispaniola, which Columbus thought might be Japan. He established a small colony there with 39 of his men. The explorer returned to Spain with gold, spices, and Indian captives in March 1493 and was received with the highest honors by the Spanish court. He was the first European to explore the Americas since the Vikings set up colonies in Greenland and Newfoundland in the 10th century. During his lifetime, Columbus led a total of four expeditions to the New World, exploring various Caribbean islands, the Gulf of Mexico, and the South and Central American mainlands, but he never accomplished his original goal, a Western Ocean route to the great cities of Asia. Columbus died in Spain in 1506 without realizing the scope of what he did achieve, he had discovered for Europe and the New World, whose riches over the next century would help make Spain the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. He also unleashed centuries of brutal colonization, the transatlantic slave trade, and the deaths of millions of Native Americans from murder and disease. Columbus was honored with a U.S. federal holiday in 1937. Since 1991, Dozens of cities and a growing number of states have adopted Indigenous Peoples Day, a holiday that celebrates the history and contributions of Native Americans. Not by coincidence, the occasion usually falls on Columbus Day, the second Monday in October, or replaces the holiday entirely. Why replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day? Some argue that the holiday overlooks Columbus's enslavement of Native Americans, while giving him credit for discovering a place where people already lived. October 13. On this date in history, in the year 2010, Chilean miners are rescued after 69 days underground. 
the last of 33 miners trapped nearly half a mile underground for more than two months at a caved-in mine in northern Chile, are rescued. The miners survived longer than anyone else trapped underground in recorded history. The miners' ordeal began on August 5, 2010, when the San Jose Gold and Copper Mine, where they were working some 500 miles north of the Chilean capital city of Santiago, collapsed. The 33 men moved to an underground emergency shelter area, where they discovered just several days' worth of food rations. As their situation grew more desperate over the next 17 days, the miners, uncertain if anyone would find them, considered suicide and cannibalism. Then, on August 22, a drill sent by rescuers broke through to the area where the miners were located, and the men sent back up a note saying, We are fine in the refuge, the 33. Food and water, letters, medicine, and other supplies were soon delivered to the miners via a narrow bore hole. Video cameras were also sent down, making it possible for rescuers to see the men and the hot, humid space in which they were entombed. As engineering and mining experts from around the world collaborated on the long, complex process of devising a way to bring the 33 men up to the surface, the miners maintained a system of jobs and routines in order to keep up morale. Rescuers eventually drilled and enforced an escape shaft wide enough to extract the men, one by one. Employees of a Pennsylvania-based drilling tool company played a key role in drilling the rescue shaft. On October 12, the first of the miners was raised to the surface in a narrow, 13-foot-tall capsule, painted white, blue, and red, the colors of the Chilean flag. The approximately 2,000-foot ascent to the surface in the capsule took about 15 minutes for each man. The miners were greeted by a cheering crowd that included Chile's president, Sebastian Panera, media from around the world, and friends and relatives, many of whom had been camped at the base of the mine in the Atagama Desert for months. Millions of people around the globe watched the rescue on live TV. Less than 24 hours after the operation began, all 33 of the miners, who ranged in age from 19 to 63, had been safely rescued. Almost all the men were in good health, and each of them sported dark glasses to protect their eyes after being in a dimly lit space for so long. The rescued miners were later honored with trips to a variety of destinations, including England, Israel, and Florida's Walt Disney World, where a parade was held in their honor. October 14. On this date in history, in the year 1947, Chuck Yeager breaks the sound barrier. U.S. Air Force Captain Chuck Yeager becomes the first person to fly faster than the speed of sound. Yeager, born in Myra, West Virginia in 1923, was a combat fighter during World War II and flew 64 missions over Europe. He shot down 13 German planes and was himself shot down over France. But he escaped capture with the assistance of the French underground. After the war, 
he was among several volunteers chosen to test fly the experimental X-1 rocket plane built by the Bell Aircraft Company to explore the possibility of supersonic flight. For years, many aviators believed that man was not meant to fly faster than the speed of sound, theorizing that transonic drag rise would tear any aircraft apart. All that changed on October 14, 1947, when Jaeger flew the X-1 over Rogers Dry Lake in Southern California. The X-1 was lifted to an altitude of 25,000 feet by a B-29 aircraft and then released through the Bombay, rocketing to 40,000 feet and exceeding 662 miles per hour. The sound barrier at that altitude. The rocket plane, nicknamed Glorious Glennis, after Jaeger's wife, was designed with thin, upswept wings and a streamlined fuselage modeled after a 50 caliber bullet. Because of the secrecy of the project, Bell and Jaeger's achievement was not announced until June 1948. Jaeger continued to serve as a test pilot, and in 1953, he flew 1,650 miles per hour in an X-1A rocket plane. He retired from the U.S. Air Force in 1975 with the rank of Brigadier General. Jaeger died on December 7, 2020, at the age of 97. October 15. On this date in history, in the year 1965, draft card-burning demonstrations staged across the country. In a demonstration staged by the student-run National Coordinating Committee to End the War in Vietnam, some of the first public burnings of draft cards in the United States takes place. These demonstrations drew 100,000 people in 40 cities across the country. In New York, David Miller, a young Catholic pacifist, burned his draft card in direct violation of a recently passed law forbidding such acts. Agents from the Federal Bureau of Investigation later arrested him. He was tried, found guilty, and sentenced to two years imprisonment. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for October 9 through October 15. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then... Thanks for listening.